Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and turn to James chapter 2 as we're uh, we're going to spend most of the time this morning. And we're continuing in our series called Faith Forward. And the whole idea behind Faith Forward is that when you made a decision to follow after Jesus, you said, you are God, you're the Lord of my life, I'm going to follow after you from here on out. Uh, there was a faith that was deposited inside of you. There was faith that was born inside of you. And that faith began to grow and it began to change you. It began to make you more like Jesus. And you were filled with hopes and dreams and plans for all of the things and the plans and purposes that God had for your life. And you began to grow a lot. You were passionate about Jesus and the kingdom cause. But naturally what happens over time is that passion can begin to wane and the faith can begin to slow down in its growth. And eventually, if we're not careful, the, the growth can stop and actually begin to recede and we find ourselves becoming less like Jesus and more like who we used to be and the hopes and plans that we had for what Jesus was going to do in our lives and through us begin to fade away. Well, that's not the life that God's called you to. It says that God's taken you from glory into glory, that what he birthed in you when you became a Christian was a miracle, but what he has for you and what he wants to do through you is even more miraculous than that, that you can continue to grow in your faith and push it forward from here until the day when you enter into eternity. And that's what we want to see happen uh, in all of us. That's the call for every single one of us. We want to see that happen in Radiant Church in every one of our lives. And so we've been going through some of the uh, deliberate dis uh, disciplines and decisions that we have to make so that our faith can continue to move forward. And this week, we're going to talk about the decision to be a servant and what serving does inside of your faith. That's one of the greatest decisions that Anna and I made in our marriage and in our life and what we've been doing in churches ever since we got married was that we wanted to be servants. We wanted to be a part of serving in the local church and, and serving other people, serving Jesus, but we really decided that we weren't going to view ourselves as the lords and masters of our own lives. Our life wasn't going to be about us, about attaining position, status, advancing career, and there's nothing wrong with advancing careers and all that stuff, but that wasn't going to be the goal of our life. The goal of our life was going to be seeing how can we use everything that we have and everything that we are to bless other people and to serve other people so that they can receive what it is that Jesus has for them, just like we've been able to receive that. We want to be those who encourage and strengthen and help build the lives of other people. And that decision is one of the things that propelled us into where we are today. We would not be doing what we're doing now had we not made that decision to serve. Our faith never would have grown to the place where it's at now. And this is something that James talks about a lot in his book that he writes. It says in James chapter 2, verses 17 through 26. So you see, faith, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she, was, when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead 
without good works. So the first thing that James is saying in this passage is that faith without works is dead and useless. Now, there's a lot of, uh, people have a lot of trouble understanding the book of James because it seems very different than what you read about in a lot of the rest of the New Testament. And some great people like Martin Luther, he, like, the book of James drove him crazy because he had his revelation of God's goodness and that salvation was by grace through faith in Jesus and reading the book of Romans written by Paul. So then he comes to a book like James that says that if you don't have works that accompany it, that you're not really following after Jesus. You don't really have a faith that's founded in Jesus inside of you. So people wonder, well, what is it? Am I saved by grace through faith, or am I saved by the good works that I do? And this is the way that those two things work together, is the method by which we are saved is by grace. Like Jesus came, he died on the cross for our sins. That was all him, that's all what he did. There's nothing that we can do to make ourselves right before God. Jesus is the one who did that for us, by grace, through faith in what it is that Jesus has done. But what uh, James is talking about isn't the way that we're saved, but James is talking about why we were saved. We were saved by grace, through faith in Jesus, so that we could do the good works that God created us to do. This is what it says. Paul actually affirms this in Ephesians 2.10. He says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Some of your Bibles might say, uh, we are God's masterpiece instead of handiwork. And I love that. The idea is that you aren't just the result of random chance. You aren't the result of life struggling to pass on DNA and genetic material. It's, it's, there's purpose behind you, that you were created by the living God. It says that you were fearfully and you were wonderfully made, that you were knit together in your mother's womb, that you are here on this earth, that you are a living being is not chance. It's not random. God chose you. God crafted you. He shaped you. He knit you together. He made you who you are. He's the master craftsman. And what he's made you to be isn't a second-rate product. You're not just like the Pablo Picasso of, you know, human creation, like just battering stuff all over. You are a masterpiece. He created you with intent, and he created you for a purpose. Masterpieces aren't accidental. They aren't made for no reason. Every masterpiece was created for a reason. There was an emotional response that the creator was hoping to get out of people. There was a message that the creator was trying to convey. And it's the same with you. As God's masterpiece, he created you for a reason. There is something that you were created to accomplish with your life. There's a reason why he put so much time and effort and detail into creating you as a masterpiece. And that reason, Paul says, is so that you can do the good works that he created you to do in advance. That's one of the best things I've ever heard. Every one of us, we want to do something significant with our life. One of my biggest fears as a kid was that I would do nothing with my life. Even as a little guy, I was like, I didn't want to like play video games and stuff. I was like, I'm scared my life isn't going to matter. Like there's no significance in any of this. I wanted to make a mark in this world. I wanted to do something that would be remembered. I wanted to do something that was bigger than just satisfying my own desires. I wanted to do something that had worth to it. And that was a selfish thing. There was pride that entered into that because I wanted you know, a way to validate yourself or your own worth. And what I've discovered, though, is that there was that seed or that desire that's implanted in every single human heart, even if we don't know the proper expression of it. And what I found out after I became a Christian was that that desire to do something significant wasn't for myself to validate myself. I was validated at the cross. I was adopted into the family of God. I was made a son of the living God. 
That's where my validation comes from. That's where my worth comes from. I don't have to do anything to be validated or to have worth. Jesus gave that to me on the cross. But I have a desire inside of me to do something bigger than myself, something significant for Jesus and for his kingdom, and to see it advance across the face of the earth. When Jesus said, pray, my kingdom come and my will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it resonates inside of our hearts because we want that. It's built into our spiritual DNA. It says that you're a new creation, that in that part of that new creation, that new DNA spiritually that you have, is this desire to do something significant for the kingdom of God. You want your faith to propel you into that. And that's because that's what you were created for. Now, sin might have separated you from that, Because of your sins, you weren't able to do the good works that Jesus created you to do, but on the cross, he paid the price for those sins so that now you can live. You were saved so that you can do the things and live the life that God created you to live. And a part of that is to do the good works that he prepared for you in advance. So if you have a faith and no good works, then your faith is dead and useless because you weren't created just to believe that Jesus is God and then wait around until you go be with him in eternity forever. You were created to do good works in Christ Jesus. And the faith that you have now was made to grow and to propel you into doing the good works that God created you, created for you to do before the foundations of the earth were ever even laid, before you ever existed or your parents existed or grandparents existed. Now, because of faith, we can do the things that God created us to do. And if you aren't doing good works and good deeds and serving then it means that your faith is dead and useless. And he goes on to say that works are actually proof of our faith. That one of the ways that we prove that we are of the Christian faith is that there are good works that are coming out of our life that we're living. Now, in our nation, three-quarters of the citizens of the United States of America claim the Christian faith. I would argue that three-quarters of our population is not truly a part of the faith of Jesus Christ. Because if they were, our nation would look very different from what it does right now. The reality that we live in would be very different from the reality that we find ourselves facing with. But the reason why three-quarters of our population says that they're Christians or of the Christian faith is because they believe in Jesus. You think, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Why? Well, I believe in Jesus. Well, James says demons believe in Jesus. That doesn't make them Christians. They're, they know that this is, demons have great theology. They know that Jesus is the Son of God. They know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. They know that life is found through him. They know that we were created to submit ourselves to him and follow his plans and purposes for our life. But they've chosen to reject all of that. They have great theology, but they aren't doing anything with it. They don't have a faith in Jesus that's producing good works inside of them. And the same thing can be said of us. Just knowing that Jesus is the Lord is not enough. That it has to be a faith inside of us that doesn't just believe in who he is, but a faith that leads us to submit ourselves to him and to live out the life that he's called us to. And if we aren't doing good works with our life, then it means that the faith that we have isn't the real faith in Jesus that's going to save us and propel us into the life that he's called us to. It's like my little daughter, she just turned three months old yesterday. And uh, we were holding her because, you know, when they're weeks or months old, you start having birthdays for their one-week birthday, two-week birthday, three-month birthday. You do all of that stuff until they turn two, and then they're shocked by the fact that you don't celebrate everything they do anymore. And <laughs> that's therapists love that. Uh, but 
we were holding her, and it's like, she's just growing so fast. In three months, she's grown so much, and I want it to slow down because she's so precious, and she doesn't talk back or disobey yet she doesn't have the ability to do that or anything else for that matter. She's just cuddly and cute. But she's growing. Why is she growing? She's a baby. What do babies do? They grow. You don't have babies that don't grow. It's inside of them. The, the DNA inside of her is coded in a way that it produces growth inside of her. It's not that she wants to grow or doesn't want to grow. It's not that I want her to grow or don't want her to grow. Human babies, when they're healthy, they just grow, and there's nothing that you can do to stop it. Not everything that grows is a baby. I have mold in the back of my fridge. It's growing. It's not a baby. But every baby grows. And the same is true for us in our faith. Not everyone who does good works is a Christian. Uh, there's lots of people of different faiths or no faith at all that can still love other people and serve other people and do good things, but they don't do it in the name of Jesus, which is the key difference. But here's the thing. Every Christian does good works. If there aren't good works that you're doing with your life, then it means that you don't have the faith in Jesus that he came and gave his life to give to you. It's one of the ways that we can look at it. A lot of times you don't have to have someone tell you I'm a Christian. Have you ever been around someone that you met and you just start picking up on the fact pretty obvious that they were a follower of Jesus? They didn't have to tell you that. You picked up on it. Why? Because they're doing good works. There's fruit that's born from their life. We, uh, we have to preach the gospel. That's one of the things that we need to do. But before we be preaching the gospel, what's going to be a greater testimony is the life that we're living. Are we living the gospel? Is the fruit of the gospel being lived and demonstrated out in our life through the good works that we're doing? Are we spending our life just serving ourselves and drawing attention to ourselves and getting things for ourselves? Or are we spending our lives serving others and serving Jesus and saying, God, my life is a sacrifice for you. Everything I am, everything I have, it's all for you. Because that's what faith will produce inside of you. There's spiritual DNA inside of you. When you became a Christian, that faith that was born inside of you, it's created to grow and it's created to do good works. You won't have to try to do good works. It's just going to be the overflow of your life when you're faith is pure and when your faith is strong, when your faith is in the right thing. So what do our actions say about our faith? Is it really a faith that's in Jesus? Is it really a faith that's in Jesus as Lord and now viewing myself as a servant or is it something else? The good deeds or lack of good deeds that you do in your life will be an indicator of that. And then number three, it says, uh, James says that works complete our faith. And when we serve the cause of the kingdom, when we begin to put actions to the faith that we have in Jesus, it causes our faith to actually grow, to mature, and develop. It says that it actually causes our faith to be completed. Faith is a lot like a muscle. I don't know a lot about muscles from personal experience, but I've had some biology classes who have a basic understanding of how they work. We're all born with muscles. My little girl, she was born with muscles in her neck but they were really small and they're really immature. So what she do? she's just like, you know, like her neck's just flopping around and doing this thing. But she wasn't created to do that forever. That was the starting point for her, but the muscles begin to be used and they're exercised. And as her muscles are used, they begin to grow and they come into the completion of their purpose. Those muscles are designed to support her neck so she can hold her head up. 
It's not going to become complete until she starts exercising those muscles and starts trying to hold her head up. As she does that, the muscles grow and develop into completion to where now she can accomplish the things that she was created to do. And it's the same way for us with our faith, is that faith is a muscle. It's like a muscle inside of us. And when God put that inside of you, when you became a Christian, it was small, and it wasn't able to accomplish in you the things that it was going to accomplish one day. But the potential was there, and we had to start using it. We had to start exercising it so that the muscle of our faith could grow, so it could develop, and so it could be made complete. And that won't happen if we don't start exercising it by doing the good works and the good deeds that God created us to do. And we can learn a lot from eagles. Uh, pastor Lee, who's my pastor, uh, in his office when I worked for him, he had all these eagles everywhere. A little bit creepy when you walk in there. There's all these eagles looking at you from every bookshelf. But uh, I remember him telling me about eagles and how amazing they are because uh, there's commercial airliners that have been flying and they've seen eagles at two, three miles up in the sky. There's eagles that are flying around and they can see rabbits in fields down below from that high up. Eagles, they're created to soar. They're amazing. They're a majestic animal. It's bird. I don't know. Birds, animals. I don't know animals. But they're an amazing bird. And they're the symbol of our nation because they're such an incredible animal. But they didn't start out that way. Have you ever seen a baby bird? Ugly. There's nothing majestic. Like they're the ugliest animals on the face of the earth. The baby birds, when they come out, they're ugly. They have like three feathers on them. They're naked and they squawk. They're not soaring majestically, hunting down rabbits. They're just sitting there and just like, ah, ah, and the mama comes and pukes food down their mouth. Like that's how a majestic eagle starts out. There's nothing in them that looks like who they're going to be someday. But the DNA is inside of them that's going to lead them to grow into that. In just a couple of months, the little eaglet has grown from being the ugly little squawky thing into looking like a mature adult eagle just like its parents. But even though it's grown physically to that point, it still isn't able to fly. It isn't able to soar and to be two miles up hunting down rabbits and cats and different things like that like it was created to. It has to learn how to fly. And the first phase for an eagle learning how to fly is called hovering. The mother comes, and instead of just puking the food down their mouth, which sounds really great. I can't, I'm saying that a lot, I feel like. The baby, she hovers above the nest so that the babies start jumping up. And as they jump up, what happens is they start to get some wind underneath their wings. They begin to experience lift for the first time. The next thing that she does is as the eagles start walking out of the nest and they walk out onto the branches, she teaches them the next thing, which is gliding. And what she does is she comes up and just like, like knocks them off of the branches and they spread their wings out and they're able to glide to another branch. Now they're not flying at that point, they're not flapping, but they've learned to, to open their wings and to be able to glide from branch to branch by capturing lift. Still not flying two miles up but they're getting closer to it. The muscles are developing. Their mind is developing. And then finally, the mother teaches them how to flap. They begin flapping, and she'll help lead them up high, and they'll get up high, and they'll open their wings, and they'll soar, and they'll start doing what eagles are made to do. But it's a process that they have to go on, even though all of the potential for that is born inside of them from birth, and they naturally grow and mature into that. They still have to learn and start exercising the muscles and start exercising the mindset to be able to actually do what they were created to do. But what happens if a mother or if a mother eagle dies? Her babies will never fly. Even though they're born to fly, even though they're physically capable of flight, 
If they don't have their mom to teach them how to fly, eventually they will fall out of their nest. They will never spread their wings to catch the lift. They will never flap to gain altitude. They'll just fall down and they'll die. I think there's a lot that we can learn from eagles. Just like the eagles, when we made that decision to follow Jesus, that faith was born in you, and you might have been that squawky little eaglet, and you're just waiting for someone to come puke down your mouth spiritually. They're like, feed me, pastor. And that's okay for a season. But that season doesn't last long. You could spend your whole life doing that. Those eagles could spend their whole life just and never, ever learn how to hunt for themselves, never learn how to fly, never be the majestic being that they were created to be. It takes them having to start exercising those muscles, start having to jump up, catch the lift, start learning how to glide, learning how to flap, learning how to be an eagle. It's the same for us. We live in a consumer culture. In our culture, it's all about how are you going to appeal to me? What are you going to do for me? How are you going to make my life better? If I believe that this is good, then I'll take it. But it's all about me. It's not about anyone else. I don't give any consideration or care for anything or anyone else. It's just all about me. And unfortunately, that's bled into us spiritually too. It's, it's the mentality of what's this church going to do for me? How's this going to minister to me? You know, what's in it for me? You know, that's the worst question that you can ever ask spiritually. That's the worst question that you could ever ask for your faith. You know, the question you need to be asking yourself is, what's in me for it? What's in me for the kingdom of God? What is it that God's deposited inside of me for the local church so that I don't just sit there and just receive like the baby eagle, but I grow and I mature and I learn to fly and I become everything that God created me to be. I want to do the good works that God created me to do. I don't want to spend the rest of my life just having other people cater to me and staying as a spiritually immature Christian. I want to grow. I want to be who God created me to be. I want my life to matter for the kingdom of God. I want other people to know Jesus because of the life that I've lived. But that's never going to happen if we don't start exercising the muscles of our faith by serving. It's in the place of serving that our faith really is made complete. It's in the place of serving that you're going to grow into who it is that God created you to be. It's the model of Jesus. In Matthew 20, verses 26 through 28, it says, But Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying that in your culture, in this world that we live in, it's all about how do you gain more power, more authority, more status, more wealth for yourself, and that you use this so that other people start to serve you and you don't have to serve other people. It's about building a pyramid of people who are underneath you. Jesus says that's not the way that it was ever supposed to be, and it's not the way that it is in the kingdom of God. It says that in the kingdom of God, that even if you're at the top of the pyramid, you say all of the power, all of the influence, all of the wealth, all of the giftings, all of the abilities that I have, it's not for me. It's so that I can use these things to serve other people. It's so that I can pour out of myself, out of my life, out of everything that God's blessed me with, so that I can serve other people, that they might know Jesus, and they might find the life and the hope and the freedom that is found in Jesus. Jesus and in Jesus alone. And as you do that, your faith is made complete. 
But if you never make the decision that you're going to view yourself as a servant and you're going to look for every opportunity that you have to serve other people, then your faith is never going to grow and you'll never see the completion of it where you're able to do all of the things that Jesus died on the cross so that you would be able to do. When... um, my parents made a decision for me. I wish I could say it was my decision. A long time ago, my parents made a decision for me that I was going to be a servant in the church. And uh, from a young age, they had different things I do. I remember like emptying trash and picking up things and doing stuff like that. And, and all through my life, it doesn't matter where I was, what I was doing. Like I've been a servant and I've been looking for ways to serve. I've done everything from um, I've been in parking lots. I've, uh, gosh, man, I've done video, I've done audio, I've done worship teams, I've been in kids' ministry, youth ministry, I've cleaned toilets, I've washed dishes, I've vacuumed carpets. Like, there is nothing that I view as being below me. Absolutely nothing. Because I'm a servant. Whatever needs to be done, that's what I was going to do. And I began to exercise the muscle of my faith by saying, I'm going to use my life, not for me, but to serve other people. Well, what happens is I do that. My faith becomes more complete. And I'm able to move more fully into what it was that God specifically designed me for because my heart comes into alignment with the heart of God. I prove myself to be a faithful servant that he can trust by doing whatever it is that he asked me to do. I would not be doing what it is that I'm doing today if I hadn't made that, if my parents hadn't made that decision when I was a kid and if I hadn't taken it up for myself once I got out of their household. But for me, it wasn't like, hey, I'm gonna serve like, you know, every three months, whatever. Like for Ann and I, it's been, we're gonna serve every Sunday in some capacity wherever it is. She was in kids ministry for five years at Radiant Church in Richland. I played on the worship team every Sunday for five years. Or, and it, was like, it was just like an honor and it was a joy for us to do that because it was the way that we were able to serve and it was the way that we were able to grow in our faith and do the good works that Jesus created us to do. Because it wasn't about us. It wasn't about what the church could do for us. It wasn't about what other people could do for us. It was us always coming and saying, God, what, what gift, what talent, what skill, or maybe just what ability like, it doesn't take a lot of skill or talent for me to vacuum carpets, but I have the ability to vacuum carpets. But Jesus, how is it that I can serve you and I can use whatever it is that I have? And for the last 12 years of our marriage, we've poured our blood, our sweat, our tears, our, our, our financial resources, our energy, everything that we have. We've just said, how can we use all of these things to pour it into the local church so that we can serve other people, so that we can create a place where more and more people are able to encounter the love of Jesus and have miraculous encounters with him that bring salvation to their souls. That's what my life is about. That's all that I want to do. You might say, well, yeah, that's, you say that because you're a pastor. No, I'm a pastor because I've believed that with all of my heart for decades, and I've been following after that, which has made my faith grow to completion to the point of where now today I'm able to do what God called me to do today. Now, this might not be what I do forever, because I don't know where the completion of my faith lies, but Jesus does. And he's going to continue to lead me fully into the completion of my faith as long as I continue to allow the faith to produce good works inside of me. As long as I continue to view myself as a servant of what it is that Jesus has done and who he's called me to be. And I would even say this. Your life will only make sense in the context of the local church. Your life as a believer, your life as a servant of Jesus the only way you will ever be able to look at your life and say, this makes sense now, is in the context of the local church. And here's why. 
In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, it says, As you come to him, the living stone, and that's Jesus, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What Peter's saying there, so what Jesus is doing through the church is he's building for himself a home. He's building for himself the place where he dwells, where his family gathers. And that every single one of us, when you're a believer, when you have faith inside of your heart in Jesus, it says that you're a stone in this house that he's building. Now, why didn't he say that you're a brick? Why did he say you're a stone? What's the difference between a brick and a stone? Bricks are mass-produced and made by men. There's nothing special about a brick. They're all the same. Every one of them looks the same. There can be millions and millions of bricks. And when you're building something out of bricks, you just grab a brick and you throw it on, and you grab a brick and you throw it on. Stones, those aren't made by man. There's no mold for a stone. Every stone is unique. Every stone has a different shape. Every stone has different character to it. And when you're building something with stones, you don't just grab them and start throwing them up. You look for just the right one that's going to fit in just the right spot. What happens to us is, as stone, we wonder, like, God, are you going to do anything with me? It takes stones a long time to take on the shape that they have when the master builder comes and decides to use them. Maybe there's been violence that's occurred to them. Maybe it's been erosion that's been beating at you. Maybe you've been in the bottom of a lake or a stream and you feel like nobody's ever seen you, that you'll never be able to do what it is that God's called you to do because you're in an unseen and obscure place. What you don't realize is that under the river, the waters are shaping you and making you into exactly who it is that God wants you to be. And at just the right time, he's going to come. That's the stone right there. He's going to pick you up, and he puts you at that perfect spot on the wall. And the unique shape that you have fits perfectly in with all of the stones that are around you. Your shape and who you are won't make sense as long as you're by yourself. But when you're put onto the wall around all of the other stones, you begin to see the beauty and you begin to see the plan of God and what it is that he's been doing. You see how the way that he uniquely and intricately made you, gifted you, and shaped you has made it so that you're able to serve him with all of those who are around you in a way that's going to bring glory to him. And that's going to be a beautiful masterpiece. You're a masterpiece that's been built into a masterpiece. That's how good God is. But we have to be willing to serve. We have to be willing to let our faith produce something inside of us so that we can put ourselves in the position to be used by the master create something bigger, more beautiful, something that makes sense. As long as you're by yourself, removed from the church, out there on your own, it'll never make sense to you because you weren't created to be just a rock by itself. You were created to be the stone, perfectly fit in with all the stones that are around you. That's the beauty of the way that Jesus is building his church.
And this is how it works. When someone comes to Radiant Church for the first time, and maybe you've had this experience, it takes a lot of people to do what it is that God wants to do. And this is why. Because Jesus said that we're his bride, that the church is the bride of Christ. What does a bride mean when we look at what it was that God, God gave Adam this mandate for what he was supposed to do? He wasn't able to do it on his own. He said that he needed a helper, which was Eve. And what that means, people think, well, then Eve is you know, subordinate to Adam because he's a helper. That's not what that means. That word helper that's used there is used in one other place and is used to call on the Holy Spirit for help. The Holy Spirit is not subordinate to us. It's a helper that's greater than us. It's a helper that enables us to do what we couldn't do on our own. So when God brings us together, brings us our helpmate, it's not that they're now just serving our vision for our life. It's that God's brought us someone greater than ourselves to help us to do what it is that he's called us together to do and to accomplish. Now think of how this relates to us as the bride of Christ. What does that say about Jesus and the mission of the church? Jesus has married himself to the church and made it dependent upon the two of us coming together to accomplish the mission of Jesus. Jesus has chosen to make it so that he doesn't do it all on his own, but so that we are the helpmate that comes in with him to accomplish the purposes and the plans that he has for humanity. We're the helpmate of Christ, we the church. It says that we're partners in the ministry of reconciliation. Here's where it gets heavy. What if we don't do what God called us to? What if we're not a faithful bride? You know what that means? It means that people live their life without ever knowing Jesus, without ever experiencing the freedom and the life and the joy and the salvation that he made possible for them on the cross. They die, they spend eternity in hell separated from God and his plans and purposes for their life. Why does that happen? It's because we don't have faith inside of us that produces good works. It's because we don't have a faith inside of us that causes us to spread our wings and to begin to serve others, to serve those who are broken amongst us, to serve uh, the rest of the family of the church. You see, here's how the church works really well. is on Sunday morning, someone comes for the first time and as they're coming, they end up in our parking lot and not the Kroger parking lot because someone went out there and they set up signs so they could find us. They come around the corner and they see Chuck Papazian and one of the parking lot team members. And they're sitting there and they're smiling and waving at them and calling them on in. They come into the doors for the first time and they're greeted, they're welcomed. They know they're in a place where they're loved and where they're cared about, where they're important, where they're valued. They go and if they have kids, they check their kids in and they know that their kids are going to be loved, that their kids are going to be ministered to, that their kids are going to have a faith that's built inside of them in Jesus because we have some of the best kids workers that you are ever going to find in any church anywhere. They come and they drink some coffee that Tommy or Aaron or some of the other people were, were back there brewing for them. That Linda's cleaning up afterwards, the coffee pots. They come in here and Sybil and her team greet them as they come in and help them find a seat and keep the place clean. All of our facilities people that are blowing leaves off of the parking lot, that are cleaning the carpets, that are preparing the place. They get into our groups where people have opened up their homes and, and decided that they're going to be a part of investing and discipling people. 
And then they come and, and you come in here and you hear me preach for 35, 40 minutes and make some stupid jokes about cats and goats and stuff like that. And someone makes a decision to follow Jesus and they find their church family, the place where they can be discipled and grow. Why did that happen? Because all of us came together and we all used our unique gifts, our talents, and even our abilities so that we could be living stones that God is placing on a wall to build for himself a place where people can come and be a part of his family. You know, this is so important. Like, this, this is burning in my heart. It's because when I look around at our city, I know the stats, that in our county, in Washington County, there are hundreds of thousands of people who are far from Jesus. And the only way that we're going to reach them is when every single one of us allows faith to produce something inside of us, when we allow faith to take us from glory into glory, when we allow faith to produce good works and fruit inside of us, where we lay down our lives and where we serve others so that they would know Jesus. We just have 60, 70, 80 years on this earth. We have such a short time, but that means that this is our hour. This is our time. These are the people that God's called us to. We could have been born at any time in the history of the earth, but God chose you to be born here, and he called you to be born now. This is our generation. These are the people that God has called us to reach. These are the people that God has called us to pour our lives out, everything we are, everything we have, so that other people would know Jesus. For 60, 70, 80 years, this is our call. And then after that, it's eternity in paradise. It's eternity enjoying the reward of our labors. And when we come and we see John Doe who drove up that, and because we prepared a place for him, because we were stones positioned on the wall, using whatever we have to create a place for other people, it's in that moment that we're able to receive the reward of that because John and his family and his friends are all there in heaven with us for all of eternity. Jesus receives the reward of his suffering, and we're able to rejoice now and forevermore at the miracle that Jesus produced inside of someone's life. And that's something to applaud for sure. And he's called us to be a part of that miracle. Not, he's just called me the preacher man. He's called all of us. None of our gifts are more important. None of our gifts are more valuable. That's what we do in our world. We start determining which gifts are better or more valuable. That's not the way it works in the kingdom. God made you who you are for a reason. He gave every one of us the gifts that we have for a reason. And it wasn't because of us. And it wasn't for our glory. And it wasn't for our benefit. It was all for the glory and the benefit of Jesus. And it was all for the benefit of the world that's around us that so desperately needs the love of their Savior. So this is what I'm doing. I'm asking you, would you join me? Would you, would you be a part of this thing that Jesus is calling to? He's calling to you. He's saying, you're my bride. You're my partner in this reconciliation between God and people. I made you the way that you are. I gave you gifts. You have talents. You have abilities. Use them. Start to stretch those wings out. Start to become who it was that you were made to be. Start being the stone that's positioned up on the wall. This is my encouragement to you. If you're here and you're not serving, but this is your church home, start serving. Take that communication card on the back of it. You can write on the back, like, hey, I want to serve. And ushers, greeters, kids, tech, wherever you want me. I want to lead a group, whatever it might be. Let us know. So we want to be a part of reaching more and more people. It's unacceptable to me, just completely unacceptable to me that people in our city would live their lives and that they would die having never known the love of Jesus presented to them in a way that they can understand when God's called so many of us and he's gifted so many of us so extravagantly. 
That won't be in our time. That won't be in this generation. In our generation, in our hour, in the years that we have on this earth, we will use our lives so that every person would know Jesus and his beauty and what it is that he has done for them on the cross and the new life that's been made available to them. That's what we're here for. That's why Jesus left us here on this earth and we didn't just beam up to heaven after we decided to follow him. We were created as God's masterpiece to do good works in Christ Jesus. It's time for us to start letting our faith become complete. Would you stand with me? That's exciting. 2018 is going to be a year unlike any year that we've ever had because we're going to go after Jesus unlike any year that we've ever gone after him. Jesus, use us. Thank you for the gifts, the talents, the abilities that you've put inside of every one of us. And God, now I pray that you would stir up a passion inside of our hearts. God, that you would fan it into flame. God, forgive us. We repent of the sins of living our lives for us and turning a blind eye towards our neighbors. Jesus, we repent of the sin of trying to use our gifts and talents and abilities for our glory. And Jesus, now we turn to use them all for your glory. God, whether we're pushing a broom or greeting someone or brewing a cup of coffee or telling a kid how much you love them, Jesus, we're going to do everything that we can so that you can receive the full reward of your suffering on the cross. Jesus, we pray that the same love that you have for the lost would be birthed inside of our hearts this morning. Jesus, that we would be compelled, God, that there just be an overflow of good works and of serving this church and serving each other, serving our neighbors and our communities and our families. Jesus, that it would be so radical and it would be so bright that the city around us can't help but take notice and declare that truly there is a God who loves me and there is a God who has the power to change my heart. Use us, Jesus. We commit to being your bride and to joining you in the work of reconciliation. Our lives, our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our finances, our energies, our everything for you and for your kingdom. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. And I'm going to call my prayer partners forward. They're going to be right up here in the front. If there's anything we can pray for you about, God does miracles every single week in response to the prayers of his people. Come up, let us pray for you. If not, go drink some coffee, meet some friends, go talk to someone at Guest Central about how you can get involved in serving, and we'll see you next week. God bless.